and says, okay, if you're in that faith fight and doubt is coming, last thing you want to do is get yoked up to a mule. You're not getting it yet. Okay, let me make it simpler. You're having marriage problems. Don't go out with one of your girlfriends that just went through a divorce <laughs> and ask for advice. Amen. What, do, what do you think I should do with my husband? He, she's going to tell you just to bail. Why? Because she's, she's a mule. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. This morning, I want to minister to you on the topic, don't doubt it when you do it. And uh, last week, I started ministering on the topic of uh, blessing blockers. And I talked a little bit about unforgiveness, how that when you're in a state of unforgiveness, God hands you over to the torturer until you pay the last price. And, but I would say today that this message really deals with the source of all blessings blocked in your life, and that is doubt. I mean, think about it. In the, in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, Eve was introduced by the serpent to doubt what God meant that they would surely die. said, no, God didn't really mean that. He really meant it. And so the temptation robbed them of eternal life in the beginning because of that. And we go through the same thing in our lives. And so today I'm going to deal with this issue of doubt because it will rob you of God's best in your life. And you'll be surprised how good God really wants to give it to you. But if we don't know how to delude or dissolve doubt, uh, there's many things we're going to get robbed from. And we'll have to put up with things that God never intended you to put up with. Amen? So with that in mind, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 14 or read it up on the screen. And I want to read this particular story of Peter walking on the water. And put it up on the screen if you would. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the water. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked in the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched forth his, uh, or Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had gotten into the boat, the wind ceased. Now, can you say amen? I want to show you some things about this story that maybe you've never heard before. I want you to see the context of it because it's very important. The context is the miracle that preceded this was when Jesus fed the 5,000, which it only refers to men, which means they had women and children as well. So we're talking anywhere between 15,000, 20,000 people supernaturally were provided. Amen? And because of the culture of that day, Many of the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah to come, and they believed that when the Messiah came, he'd set up himself up as a king, and he would, in fact, overthrow the Roman Empire and set up again Israel as the number one nation. And so 
in this story, after Jesus had fed the multi multitudes, the crowd wanted him to set up his position as king and overflow, uh, overthrow the Roman Empire. And so that's when Peter told his disciples, you get in the boat, go to the other side. And he went out directly to the people and he sent them home and then went up into the mountains to pray. Now, he prayed all night. It says it was the fourth watch, which is anywhere from three to six in the morning. So the sun had not yet come up, so it's pitch black. Jesus comes walking on the water. And this is very interesting. One of the accounts of the same story tells us that Jesus would have walked by the boat if they hadn't cried out to him. In other words, if, if they didn't use their faith, Jesus never would have rescued them from that storm. And so he's walking by the boat, and Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come. And we know the story. He steps out and walks on the water, very supernatural. Then Saul looked at the waves and boisterous, so forth, and got sidetracked in his faith and began to sink. Now, here's the part I want you to see. Peter was almost robbed of God's best in his life because he succumbed to doubt. And many people go their whole life and never get healed of a disease because they won't believe in faith for it. Many people are in lack all their life because they won't tithe and give in faith. And because of that, God never gets the chance to minister to them in a powerful way. I'm going to give you two verses that I want you to write down. They're another story, but it speaks of Jesus hometown, and write this down, Matthew 13, 58, and Mark 6, 5, two powerful uh, verses. In the Matthew's account, in Jesus' hometown, he comes in there, and it says that he did not any mighty works because of their unbelief. But in Mark's account, it says something different. It says he could not do any mighty works because of their unbelief. Now, you got to get out of your mind that God can do anything that he wants to do. God can't lie. God can't sin. God can't go against something that he said. And the reality is there's a lot of things that God would love to do for you in your life, but he can't unless you believe in faith for it. It's like salvation. The Bible says that you're saved by grace through faith. He didn't say you're saved just by grace. It's got to be through faith. In other words, no one has ever, ever, ever been saved unless they had faith in the grace of God. Without faith, no one gets saved. Save it. So even though God wants to save a person and desires to do it, without faith, he can't do it. And so we get robbed many times of not only salvation, we get robbed of a better life. We get robbed of breakthroughs in our life simply because we allow doubt to dominate us in our lives and we get off the word and get into how we feel and we get robbed from what God wants to give us. Can I have an amen? amen. Now, let me show you something from this. This is really powerful when you see this concept. When you're in faith for anything... The battle starts. And the battle is the devil knows God will give it to you if you don't waver in your faith. So he brings out circumstances against you. And if you allow your attention to get on the circumstances, your faith gets too weak. Even though you still got faith, it's not enough to get delivered from the problem in your life. You know, years ago, I was in a, a snowstorm.
And I was in my vehicle, and I knew that if I stopped the vehicle in the snow, I'd get stuck, couldn't go anywhere. So I had to keep the momentum up. The problem was it was snowing so hard, my wipers at first were unable to keep up on it. So I had to turn up the speed of the wipers so that I could keep the motion going. So I had to increase the wiping part. Same thing happens when it comes to doubt in your life. You'll be believing God, and all of a sudden, it'll start snowing. It'll start snowing more and more, and you got to work really hard to concentrate on what the Lord said. you got to say, Lord, here's what your word said. I'm going to look at the word. I'm going to look at the word. I'm going to focus in on the word. And you focus in the word, and that, and that keeps you moving in your life. If not, you'll get stuck and not be able to do what God told you to do. Amen? I don't want anyone here to be robbed at church because you didn't hear the truth. I want you to be blessed with more than enough, with plenty left over, and that's not going to happen if you are not strong in your faith. There's some things that God will not do in your life unless you use your faith. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you better use your faith. Because if you don't, I'll have to pray for you. Amen. That's so true. Now, I'm going to show you something here that will show you one of the reasons why a lot of times we doubt. A lot of times we doubt because we expect God to do it a certain way, and he doesn't do it that way. We, we pray for a financial increase, and we think that the way it's going to come is, my boss is going to give me a raise. It may come from a perfect stranger on the side of the road. It may come from this or not. They give you an example. Write this down. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, John the Baptist doubted Jesus when he was in prison. He was in prison, and he's wondering, I wonder if Jesus really is the Messiah. Now, he knew he was, but he began to doubt it because of the circumstances were screaming so loud at him. And so he sends, uh, he tells one of his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you the one they prophesied is coming? Jesus, here's how he cures him. He doesn't just send back and say, I'm the one. He sends back the disciple of John with verses. And the verses said that the Messiah would do these miracles and so forth. And then at the end of it, the verses, it said this, blessed are those who are not offended but only believe. And that's all John needed. Once he heard more word on it, he was solid in the faith. That's why people waver, because they're not word-based. They don't find the solution in the word. If you find the solution in the word, you can't fail. But, I, you know, because Jesus doesn't appear to you always in the flesh. I mean, how many people you know that that happens to? But the word is the Lord. Amen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was Jesus. The word we have right here, this is not a commentary on wisdom of somebody. This is the living word of God. You can take it to the bank, praise God. When you hear this word, you're hearing Jesus. If Jesus said, whatever you put your hand to do shall prosper, then whatever you put your hand to do shall prosper. If Jesus said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, then no weapon formed against you shall prosper. If Jesus said it, it will work exactly the way that he said it would work, and it will be effective, and it will bless you in a great way. But again, a lot of people, they get discouraged because it doesn't happen the way they thought it would happen. 
Pastor, I'm praying for that, you know, uh, I'm praying for that breakthrough in my life. And, and you think someone's going to call you up on the phone and give you the breakthrough that you're looking for. And God has chosen some other way to get it to you. Or another aspect is this. How about God's timing? You know, we say, God, we want it now. We want it right now. Uh, we're waiting in line. We want it right now. We don't want to wait. It's God's time. And God's timing is not anything like ours. If I was in heaven calling the shots, it would have been over last week. But the reality is God doesn't do that. He works differently. And so you have to believe in faith and realize that if I really believe in faith in this, that God will do it in his time. And his time may not be the time I like, but it's going to be the time that it'll come to pass. And you got to trust him for it. Hallelujah. But I'll guarantee you this, before, it's, before you're dead and gone, it's going to happen the way that God said it was going to happen. You're going to get the breakthrough that God said you were going to get. It's going to happen because God's word cannot lie. And if God is leading you by his word, you are in a perfect situation. And the circumstances in your life will not hold you back. They will overcome and give you the victory that God wants you to have in your life. Woo. I think we should do a praise offering right now. Come on, just praise him right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are good concerning your word, and you're not going to mess up. When you say something, you will back up 100%. Amen. Now, here's one of the problems that Jesus ran against. Uh, ran against. You ever notice that in the Bible, uh, even after the resurrection, there were 500 people that saw him, and they worshiped Jesus, but it, it, it said that some doubted. And the reason why some of the disciples that followed Jesus in the beginning doubted, and the reason why the crowd said, crucify, crucify him, is because they were looking for his coming in a different way. Let me explain. The Old Testament prophets, the way it was interpreted was the Messiah is going to come. He's going to rule. He's going to conquer whatever kingdom's trying to go against Israel. And he's going to set himself up as a king, an earthly king on this earth. That's how it was interpreted. And that's what the people were expecting. That's why when Jesus didn't overthrow the Roman government and was crucified. The people said, crucify and crucify him because they, were, they thought he would, they didn't have the perspective right. And it brought doubt in their faith. But remember this, and this is powerful, that Jesus is the same yesterday and forever. You know what that means? Catch what it means. It means that God's, purposes never change. What he purposed in the beginning, he purposes now. The plan changes because he had to change because man doubted, man fell into sin. But the purpose always remains the same. And what was the purpose of God creating man in the beginning? It was the purpose that we would rule and have dominion over his creation. He created us in his image and likeness and gave us dominion over all that he created. That was the original purpose that God gave man. He wanted 
the kingdom of heaven to operate through the man and the woman on this earth to create Eden wherever they were at. That was the original purpose that God had. Jesus came to restore the thing that had been lost in the beginning. He's the last Adam, and he came to give us back dominion. Say dominion. Dominion. Because think about it for a minute. Jesus went about healing the sick. Why? Because when someone is sick, what does that mean? It means they have no control over the circumstances. They can't help feeling ill. They can't help getting a tumor. They're, they're being controlled by the circumstances. When you see the term kingdom of God in the scriptures, it means this. It means where God reigns. In other words, God reigns over the circumstances. So Jesus shows up and reigns over the disease, reigns over the demonic oppression, reigns over the need, reigns over it. And that's why he told his disciples to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he told the church, I want you to wait till you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Once you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is going to begin to operate within you and no longer are you going to be controlled by the circumstances. My righteousness, my authority, my power is going to begin to control your life. It's really powerful when you think about it. But most of us, we never we just get a little bit of taste of it because we don't develop faith in these areas. I believe the more we hear words like this, the more our faith is going to grow and we're going to start to stop having these circumstances control us and we're going to start using the authority of Christ and we're going to grow. Hallelujah. We're going to grow and display the works of God in our lives. Amen. I love this because Jesus came and preached the kingdom. He didn't come. See, people think Jesus came to save me so that I go to heaven. He didn't come for that reason. He came so that the kingdom of God would be manifested on this earth. In fact, let me just say this. I know when you die, you go to heaven. But the ultimate purpose is that God's kingdom would reign on his creation. That's why in the second chapter of the end of the book of Revelation, it says that when, when the end comes, heaven or, or heavenly Jerusalem will come down from above and land on the earth. And for, oh, glory to God. The church then is going to rule and reign over God's creation because God never changes his purpose. His purpose is you would have dominion, dominion over sickness, dominion over poverty, dominion after brokenness, dominion over fear, dominion over anxiety, dominion over d demon spirits, dominion over lawlessness, dominion over hatred, dominion over... Come on, church, praise God. That's what he desires. But that's not going to happen in our lives if we don't learn to, to doubt our doubts. And go to the word. 
I like doubting your doubts. When you doubt your doubts, it means you, the weapon that Satan throws out, you just throw it back at him. It's not going to work. I'm going to prosper. I'm going to go over the top. I'm going to pay off my house. Praise God. My kids are going to serve the Lord. They're not going to go wayward. Way. Come on. Praise God. Whatever the vision is, is going to happen. Praise God. I'm not letting go. But again, if we allow, like in Peter's case, those circumstances to get too loud and we focus in on too much, we could lose the very blessing that God wants to give you. Can I give you a little bit of a revelation here? This may be a little bit heavy Sunday morning, but we're just going to do it anyway, okay? I'm geared up for it. Are you ready? Look at this verse, Mark 16, 15. Look what it says. This is the Great Commission. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to what? All creation. Say all creation. All creation. Say all. That would include plants, fish, animals, mountains, nature. It isn't just people. It's all of creation. All of creation. Why do you think Jesus spoke to the storm and told it to shut up? Why do you think Jesus spoke to the clouds and told them to clear out? Why do you think Jesus spoke to the mountain and said, uh, if you speak to the mountain and believe, it'll be removed? Why do, oh, glory to God. Why do you think Jesus spoke to a fig tree and cursed it and it withered up? He wanted people to know when the kingdom of God is here, we got authority and dominion over creation, over our bodies, over our life. That's why it translates it all of creation. Romans 8 tells us this. It says that creation groaneth and travaileth for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, creation's waiting for the church to wake up into what God has called us to do, to wake up and make the changes and wake up to use the... It's powerful. It's life-changing. This is one of the reasons why Jesus said, you won't find this in the King James translation, but you'll find it in the Morse translations and other translations when Jesus said, have the faith of God, Mark eleven twenty two. Whosoever is in this mountain be plucked up and cast into the sea. You know the verse. He said, have the faith of God. You have the faith of God. He's able to dominate whatever is going on in your life. It'll dominate your body. It'll dominate your finances. It'll dominate the world that you live in. That's what you have. But you got to believe that. And I'm not talking about human faith. I'm talking about faith that comes from God's word. The kind of faith that created creation itself. And Jesus came to do one thing. And that was to restore us back to the original state. Let me take you a little farther with this. Mark or Hebrews 11:6 6 says, says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God for you must believe that he is God and that he is a what? A rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The word reward is significant. It means to give back to you what belongs to you. It's used like in wages, 
recompense? Because when you use your faith, literally what you are doing is you're reclaiming what God gave us before the fall. You're reclaiming dominion over creation. Every house that's built, every skyscraper that's built, every automobile that's built, all comes from God's creation. And God's creation is under the dominion of the church. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> Pretty wild, yeah. But I want you to see this because this is how you resist doubt by understanding the purpose of Jesus coming. It wasn't just so that when you die to go to heaven, it was so thy kingdom would come on this earth through you, that God would give you the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God would reign through your life here. Reign over oppression, reign over addiction. Think about it for a minute. How many people do you know that are Christians that struggle with godly living? Now, why do they struggle with it? Because they don't believe right. If you believe right, you won't have any problem living right. Because you don't believe right. You doubt. You doubt. You don't believe right. See, here's the thing about godliness and living right. It comes from the way that you believe. You remember the story of the woman that was caught in adultery? And they brought her to Jesus and they wanted to stone her. Jesus got down and wrote in the sand or in the, it wasn't actually sand, but it was marble, whatever. It was stones from the temple. And scratched something in there. We don't know what it is. And then he said, he is without sin, cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest. Why? Because the older people sin more than the younger. They've had the banana longer. Amen? So they had more shame. They walked away, and Jesus said, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? Jesus said, they're gone. And Jesus was the only one there that hadn't sinned. And he says, I don't condemn you either. And then he says, go sin no more. He didn't say when she got thrown down, if, if you repent, I'll go ahead and help you with this. Because she didn't have the ability to repent. She didn't have the ability to repent until Jesus removed the condemnation from their life. See, people don't have the ability to change until God changes the person. The person has to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. As many as received him, they become children of God. You have to become a child of God. You have to become a king. You have to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Once you become a new creation in Christ Jesus, you know that you can do this. You know you can do that. She, she I don't know what happened to her, but she probably had some background. Maybe her father molested her. Maybe her grandpa molested her. But maybe she went from divorce to divorce and were abused by men. That's why she was the way she was. She thought of herself as a dirty, filthy woman worthless woman that's why she was living that way and jesus removed all that and said no 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 i'm removing all of it out of your life right now and once that happened she was able to quit sinning hallelujah yeah the only reason why people sin because they think they're a sinner and they are without christ but all you got to do is get saved all you got to do is accept Christ 
Something happens inside. I'm not who I used to be. I'm a brand new Christian. Old things have passed away. Behold, all of you become new. Hallelujah. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was dead in my transplanted sin, but now I've been raised up in Christ. Oh, my goodness. And your identity changes inside. Hallelujah. So here's my point. If you're struggling with loose living, whatever, the problem is your identity. You've believed someone that said you're a loser. You believe someone, maybe your old self, I can't do that. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop taking drugs. I was raised that way. I can't do it. That's just who I am. I hate to hear this when a couple's fighting. And one of them says, he just needs to accept me the way that I am. Well, the way you are is like a time bomb. You got to change. He can't change you. I can't change you. But Jesus Christ can change you. He can change who you are. All you got to do is accept him. You break addictions. Break lust. See, whenever you have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, all those things are circumstances that are controlling you. They're controlling you. Jesus came to set you free from that. And when you receive Christ, God imparts to you righteousness. God imparts to you his spirit. And Paul declared after he was saved, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth inside of me. I'm not who I used to be. New dude. New dude. So this temptation thing, this doubt on who you are needs to be dealt with. And if you've been through a lot of disappointments and setbacks, you need to sometimes just get out some verses about who you are. And just read those verses every day and say, that's who I am, that's who I am. Devil, I don't care what my parents said. I don't care what my best friends said. I don't care what society says. This is who I am, grace God. I'm a child of God. I have a, I have a right to everything Jesus has, and Jesus has a right to everything I have. I can't help it if I'm getting the good end of the stick, but praise God. So you're a child of God. So the number one problem with our world is this. We're controlled by circumstances. We're controlled by the weather. We're controlled by our emotions. We're controlled by our thoughts because you're not redeemed yet. Once you get redeemed, God brings you back to the original state where you're no longer controlled by that. Now you control your creation. Now you control that emotion. Now you control that fear. Now you control that lack. Now you control, oh, I like to say things like this, I'll never be broke again. Say it again, I'll never be broke again. Come on. Yeah, that might be a little bold, but I tell you what, it's better to be bold and, and, and bound in blessing than to be not bold and abound in lack. Get tough, fight in faith for it. All right, James chapter one, verse 25, look at this verse, I want you... This is the key to overcoming temptation or doubt. 
Here's the key. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, make a note of perfect law of liberty. Remember, James was raised under the law. Terms that he uses, he uses them terms that are associated with law. But this phrase, perfect law of liberty, liberty is freedom. He's actually talking about the law of faith. The law of faith makes us free from all the things that put us in bondage. And continue in it, say continue. It's not just a little bit, but continue in it. It is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Notice it emphasizes the work. Not just things that are good to do, but the work that God's called us to do. Now, I want you to see something here from the text. He says, look into the perfect law. Look into it. You know what it means? It's the word that used when they went into the tomb after Jesus was resurrected, and they bent down to look in there. Oh, he's not there. It's not talking about a casual look. It's talking about looking into the word with great effort to see exactly what it says. You know what the problem with the American church is? We have all these people interpreting what Jesus says, and then they want Jesus to sign his name to the bottom of the interpretation. God doesn't need to sign your interpretation of the Bible to make it good. Jesus knows what he meant when he said it first time. He doesn't need man's interpretation of what he says. God is very clear what he says, and what he says is what I'm going to stand, stand on, praise God. But what is so powerful about that it tells us that practicing the word is not a sprint. It's a marathon. If you've ever done a marathon, you can't do a marathon unless you get your second wind. And you can't get your second wind unless you plant, run a lot. You don't get it by a little sprint. You get it by, you get it by running a long time. Christianity is not just for a crisis till your marriage get better or a crisis till your kids start to grow brains. Uh, come on, it, it's not that. It's, it, it is a marathon. And if you approach it as a marathon, then I'm gonna, this is a change of my life. I'm going to be in church for the rest of my life. I'm going to be praying to Jesus for the rest of my life. I'm going to be declaring the word for the rest of my life. I'm going to be living the way God's word says for the rest of my life. When you do that, the power of God brings the blessing in your life. The American church is way too soft. We want this fast food gospel. Let's run into church and run out. Preacher, don't preach too long. Music, don't be too long. I just, I got a schedule, got to get in. And hey, by the way, I can, I can only make one service every two months. No, 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 no. The word won't work until you work the word. You got to get hungry for the word. Where I'm going to hear the word this week. I'm going to worship God this week. I'm going to believe God. I'm not, I'm not drawn back. Yeah. That's when the blessing starts kicking out because it accumulates. But yeah, and God's great for a crisis, but 
okay, I've seen this. I've had couples about ready to divorce. And you know, I tell them, I say, I'm not going to meet with you unless you're in every service that we have at the river. What? I said, hey, I'm not charging you for this counseling. It's free. But I'm not going to preach a message twice because you didn't come to church. And nine times out of ten, after the second service, they'd be down on the altar on their knees and crying before God and come to me after this, Pastor, we don't need you anymore. The Lord just both dealt with us. We're, we're good now. Praise God. But if you hardly show up at church, hallelujah. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing. Don't get a Munich because, or a Munich, that, that's the wrong word. What's that word where you're weak in the flesh? You know, help me, Connie. Okay. In other words, you become anemic. There we go. Give God praise right now. We got that. Got that out. Anemic. We need Christians strong in the faith. Strong in the faith. Strong. We got big giants. You're not going to whip those giants by casual Christianity. You better get serious about it. You better say, I'm going to sell out. I'm going to sell out. I'm going to sell out. People don't, probably, probably won't like, like me as well as they like me now, but I'm going to sell out. I'm going to sell out. That's when the power of God starts working. It doesn't work through the, the weak and the feeble. It works through someone that says, I'm going to seek him with all my heart and with all my being. I'm not going to draw back. Hallelujah, Jesus. Get stirred up, man. Stirred up. So there's a, a hunger here that is important for us to resist the doubt. Without it, you'll go without the blessing that God has for you. So it's a marathon. It's a marathon. It's not something, oh, let's go to the river, man. They're really happening there. Things are really smoking. It's not a fad. It is a way of life. And if it's just a fad, it's not going to last. Amen? How many of you have ever been on one of those crash diets? And why did you go on a crash diet? Because you had maybe a family reunion. You wanted to look your best. Or how about a wedding? Ooh, got to look slim for the pictures. Pick out afterwards. What difference did it make? Come on. Or it could be a, you know, a class reunion. Ooh, I got to look good, man. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. As soon as it's over, you're at McDonald's eating hamburgers again. Greasy fries, whatever. Two weeks later, you look like you were before. Praise God. Christianity is different. Amen. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I got it. Tell him you really mean it. Now, let me close with this. It's a powerful truth. Oh, my goodness. I got to hurry. You got to have a winning attitude if you want to win in life. Your faith will not win if you don't have a winning attitude. Attitude or a, a winning mindset, should I say, is critical if you want to overcome doubt in your life. If you have a bear and an alligator in a fight, who's going to win? The alligator or the bear, who's going to win? It depends on the location. If it's in the water, the alligator wins. If it's on dry land, the bear wins. The mindset determines if you're going to win in faith. If you've got a losing mindset, it's not going to work at all in your life. I said it won't work. 
Now, let me, explain, let me give it to you from this. Paul said in script, uh, Scriptures to Corinthians, he said this. He said, don't be unequally oaked with unbelievers. And he says, what does darkness have to do with light? And so forth and so forth. And he was taken from the Old Testament a law that said you couldn't put a, a mule with an ox and yoke them together because the mule feeds on garbage. So his breath is really bad. And so if he's hooked to an ox all day, uh, the, the ox literally can get sick and even die if he's yoked to a mule all the time. So it was a law not to do that. Paul takes that principle and applies it to Christianity and says, okay, if you're in that faith fight and doubt is coming, last thing you want to do is get yoked up to a mule. You're not getting it yet. Okay, let me make it simpler. You're having marriage problems. Don't go out with one of your girlfriends that just went through a divorce (laughs) and ask for advice. What do, you, what do you think I should do with my husband? He, she's going to tell you just to bail. Why? Because she's, she's a mule. Now, now I... Uh, let me paraphrase that. She's a misguided individual that has failed at that one area and she's not going to be able to give you success in it because she's failed at it. Just like you guys, if you're having problems in your, mar- in your marriage, don't go out with the single friends of yours that never had the guts to get married and ask them advice about marriage. Because they'll go, I told you you should have never gotten married. So look at me, man. I go around, no commitment. I'm in good. Sh-. No, no, no. In other words, I want you to hang around winners to win, not losers to lose. And if you haven't won in an area, how can you give people good counsel in an area if you haven't won in it yourself? You got to start winning first, then you can give good counsel. And maybe you've been through divorce and you can get to a place where you got this going good. And so you know the right things to do and then you can do it, but you can't do it when you're losing. You can't do it. If you're going into business, you don't get counsel from uh, a guy who tried to go in business and failed and lost everything and and gave up on it. You got to go with someone that maybe they failed over and over again, but they got back in it and won. You're not going to lose. You're not going to win hanging around people who have failed in the area that you need advice in. Now, we still love them because God loves you when you're failing. But I'm talking about how to overcome the doubt. In other words, it wouldn't do any good when I'm teaching on divine healing if you're standing in faith to go to a church that doesn't believe in divine healing and talk to somebody that says, what do you think about divine healing? You're not going to get healed by that. you got to talk to people that were healed of cancer, people that were healed of this disease or that disease because their faith worked. Doesn't that seem simple? Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.